And cue music. Welcome back to another episode of A-Sides. This time, I'm doing an interview with Corey Rizzoni, or he goes by Rizzo. He's in the band Lights of Marfa. So, um, Corey, thanks for talking to me today. No problem. Glad to glad to be chatting. Yeah, so I see that just a couple um, weeks ago, you actually put out a new song with your band. It was yeah. called Burning Flower. Yeah, we kind of had a little, uh, obviously with the quarantine, we lost our bassist. Not, not he's, he's still alive, but <laughs> he, uh, he had to move away um, because he lost his job and lost his place to live, and it kind of set us back. So we kind of put out this message saying we were going on hiatus, and I think it, it confused everybody immediately. Everybody was like, the band is done. And in the meantime, we had finished this song, so we kind of had to post a, hey, we, we're not gone. <laughs> we just can't do nothing right now because of the quarantine and we don't have a basis but we do have the song so yeah we decided to put it out we, we were debating whether to wait or not and uh we decided what the heck and uh we're yeah we're pr- really proud of it it's it's a little bit of an older one um that we've kind of had in the can for a little while but uh but it turned out really good so we're, we're excited about it and hopefully hopefully people like it uh yeah i like it like right away i checked it out and i'm like dang this is pretty cool like and I didn't know, yeah, like you said, I guess you said it was in the can, but I didn't know if you had been sending tracks back and forth. We were kind of sitting on it. it. You know, a lot of the songs that we do, um, I have a folder full of ideas and uh, the way our situation works. Um, I guess every band is different. Some some bands sit together or whatever, but a lot of it is just Hatch. Hatch is brilliant at taking ideas and uh, Hatch the singer, um, Benjamin Hatch, who's awesome. He's really good at taking an idea because when i write a song i don't write melodies i kind of feel that's the singer's uh, singer's bag um they got to sing the words they got to they got to they got to feel it so um he's really good at taking my blank canvas because i'm good at just laying down some chords and some ideas and leave it real open for for melodies and stuff and he comes back sometimes um i mean some of the songs we've released in the last year are 20 years old and they were just in my folder that I sent him, you know, through Dropbox and he would pick it out and I would get, a, I would get a thing back going, Hey, you had this idea in your folder. I finished it, all the words and stuff. What do you think? And it's like, Whoa, you know that I haven't heard that song <laughs> since I put it in that folder. And before that it was 10 years prior when I wrote it. So, um, that's another case of that song. I didn't even remember that riff. It was just kind of sitting in a folder, and he sent, hey, I found this in the folder. What do you think? And I was like, whoa, I don't even remember that. <laughs> oh, damn. So you got like, like, you're like Mary Poppins, just a huge bag of riffs, I guess. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, the, the, it's it's they don't come out very often, but they've come out over the years. So they just kind of end up in that folder. So, yeah, I, I wouldn't say I have a ton. There's probably less than 100 um, in that folder. But, you know, it's over over many, many years. I'm not a prolific songwriter or riff writer. So I get an idea and, you know, I poop it out and <laughs> then I move on. And maybe a couple of weeks later, another one will pop up. So, yeah, there's another one I was um, I was listening to a lot lately. Uh, Heaven Knows. Yeah, that was the 
first single with Hatch, because this the the Lights of Marfa thing actually started um, many, I mean, many years ago, probably about six, seven years ago, um, after I'd been in several bands and just decided to kind of start something. Um, the idea was for it to be uh, a co-op, kind of everybody chips in, everybody has ownership, everybody has, you know, and, and I put together a lineup and it went pretty well for a while, but that concept is really tough because everybody has their own aspirations and ideas. And before you know it, this guy's arguing with that guy and this guy's not happy, you know, not happy with this guy. And um, before you know it, it's just kind of a, a, a you know, shit show. <laughs> Cause nobody's really leading and kind of, you have four guys going in different directions. So it kind of fell apart and I slowly pieced it back a couple years ago and hatch had been suggested a couple times and I hit him up and that was one of the first ideas I sent him and he sent it back within a couple days. Um, finished. Oh, and, wow. uh, yeah. So it was, uh, it, it just was like, Oh, this is going to work. And, uh, it was, it was just, uh, that's actually a brand that was a brand new riff. Um, so like I said, that's pretty rare. I think we had written it within a month of, of, uh, coming, coming across hatch and, uh, he came back and it just, it worked out really well. It was a great first sing. I guess our first single actually was a Christmas song. Um, uh, we did a cover of a Paul McCartney, uh, Christmas song, but that was our first original release. So I'm, I'm glad you dig it. I guess that's a good starting point. You came right out of the gate with that one. I was re really listening to a bunch of a band called Biffy Clyro at that at that point. I, I love that band. They're a band from the UK, and they kind of have a, a it's almost like Rage Against the Machine meets uh, Third Eye Blind. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they're they're really interesting and have really cool melodies. And that intro riff was just kind of. I had been listening to them so much. It's kind of inspired by them. So it just kind of comes out of the gate kind of with a cool intro riff and then goes into a real melodic thing. Uh, speaking of the covers, you had uh, mentioned the Christmas song. I noticed like I have Apple music, so I was pulling up your songs and I've got a lot of cool covers on there. There's like foreigner, Billy Joel and like Brian Adams. So you've got like kind of a diverse kind of a selection yeah. there. Yeah. We, I mean also when, when we kind of, revamped the band and started again that was going to be we were going to do original cover original cover original cover and we just started writing so many more originals that the covers kind of took more of a back seat but i've always enjoyed i mean i came from that you know that world years ago and um always found covers to be fun if the band kind of reinvents them in a way like going and being a tribute band I, I love tribute bands. I love them. But for me, being in one would be really tough. Um, I mean, I guess I guess I kind of am in one. All right, right now I play in a band that does Def Leppard uh, covers. and it, 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 But it's really difficult oh, wow, to play cool. things. It, yeah, I mean, it's but it's really it, it's it, kind of Vivian Campbell is one of my influences. So it kind of his playing kind of fits my thing. Um, but trying to do that thing where you go out and just, we're going to play a Brian Adams song. We're going to play a, and playing them exactly has always been difficult for me. I always enjoyed it better when you kind of put your spin on it. So that was kind of the, always the idea was let's, let's do some covers, but let's make them our versions of those songs. 
I think they turned out pretty well. Yeah, so you did a good job on those. Well, thanks. Yeah, we got a, we got a few more, you know, banging around in the can right now that we're we're figuring out what to do. <laughs> um, but they're all, you know, usually we're we're all we all grew up with those that you know the '80s kind of thing. So uh, they all kind of lean towards that '80s, early '90s world for the most part. So, but we got a few more few more waiting there that uh we'll see the light of the day at uh at some point oh cool well that's actually a good segue i guess from the covers into i guess i was introduced to you on instagram recently through like the quarantine and you've been i think like every day you were posting like a guitar riff like from a different band and i think the first one i saw was like acdc and then after that you're doing like scorpions and stone temple pilots and i was like oh my god it, it was just for fun. Um, I poked around at the idea of doing that a long time ago. Well, you know, and then at the beginning of quarantine, I really threw around the idea, but it just always seems kind of daunting. Um, I'm sure even with doing these podcasts, there's just so many little things you kind of, you, you want it to be right. And uh, after being really bored for about a month, I just decided to, to hell with it. And I just literally put, most of those are my iPhone leaned up on a music stand about eight feet in front of my rig in my rehearsal room. And I would just press record and I would play the song through the PA and play along and try and get the levels just right. And uh, it just kind of became a fun thing to do because you really had nothing else to do all day other than, you know, work out or uh, eat. <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> or you know so uh or watch movies you know watch netflix till your you know eyeballs fall out so it just kind of became a fun you know the band couldn't rehearse we weren't working on anything because we'd just finished that song and uh i was just like man i'm gonna do this and have some fun and uh it kind of it it took off and it was a lot of fun and i, I wish i could continue it it's kind of died off the last few days i thought i'd you know last few weeks i thought i'd really be able to continue it but once life got back to normal, you know, though, I mean, those videos take an hour or two uh, to film, edit, get all online, all that stuff. So when you start, you know, get 30 of those a month, that's 60 hours. It's a it's a big chunk of time uh, taken away from everything else that you got to do in life when things are actually moving. I enjoyed it, though, because I. I guess I was like, oh, like, what's he going to do next? And then every time you posted one, you have like a story from seeing each band, too. Yeah. I mean, that was the idea was it would they would be kind of these are things that inspire me uh, more than just, you know, these these are just some songs I picked out of a hat. They were all all things from, you know, and it was great because it reminded me why I started playing guitar um kind of reinvigorated that thing oh yeah i forgot about this you know forgot about that and that's kind of how it would go i would put on my my you know random on my apple music or whatever and something would pop up in my catalog and be like oh yeah wasp you know <laughs> i remember seeing them back in the day and i love that song i want to be somebody i'm gonna do that one that, you know that was kind of how it went and uh so yeah the stories uh hopefully they were you know somewhat funny uh, somewhat informational, <laughs> you know, whatever everybody got out of it. It was just fun to rehash those stories in my mind as well, just cause you know, it's been years since I'd told some of them. Yeah. There's one thing too, that I, I guess I noticed 
uh, that I thought was kind of a cool connection. You're actually from the Midwest, right? I was born in Kenosha, Wisconsin, and then I, I from a little kid, I, mean, I don't know, six years old, seven years old, I, I grew up in Rockton, Illinois, which is just north of Rockford. And uh, that's where I went to school, grade school, high school, played my first bands. And then after graduating, moved to Rockford, kind of got involved in that scene. And uh, so, yeah, there's that connection. Then I moved to I moved to Texas at some point there um, in my 20s. But uh, up until I was about 25 years old, yep, I was a, you know, Wisconsin, Illinois boy. So, yeah, it, uh, it, it was a great place to grow up. You know, there's a cool music scene, the Chicago, Rockford, uh, Milwaukee, that, I mean, even Peoria, um, Champaign. There were some killer bands back in the day and over the years um, to come out of that area. Well, you saw Kiss, right, in Rockford in 79, and that's kind of what uh, set you on the path? Yeah, well, it was it was Milwaukee, actually, is where I got to see them. I, at that point, I was still, we were still living in Kenosha, I believe, because I was only, yeah, I, I was... Yeah, 79. Yeah. I, 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 yeah. However old I was. <laughs> but yeah, I was a little kid. My parents were very young when they had me and very cool and kind of just took me to concerts. And uh, yeah, I got to see Kiss. Judas Priest was the opener. Um, Damn. And um, <laughs> it was I mean, it kind of just I mean, I already at that point was, you know, into Kiss. Um, I'd gotten the what record was it? Love Gun, I think, was the first record I got, and I got it at one of those. Uh, I don't know, you know, it's gonna date me or whatever. But those Woolworth or those those department stores back in the day that always had they had like a candy store in them, and they had a record store. They kind of had everything at the department store, and I didn't even know who Kiss was as a little kid. I just saw the picture on the cover, which I can't believe my parents let me buy that, you know, record. I mean, the bunch of you know naked looking chicks <laughs> all around kiss you know and uh but they looked like superheroes so i was just like oh i got it what is this and yeah that that was the beginning of uh just wanting to play music i mean for the the minute i saw them live that was it i mean i wanted to be ace i wanted to play music um you know i know some guys go back to you know oh, it was you know about finding chicks and all. I was too young to, I, I just wanted to be ace. I just wanted to be a, you know, wanted to be an astronaut that played guitar. <laughs> you know, so I got to do two things, you know, some guys want to be a fireman or someone want to be an astronaut. Some want to be a rock star. I got the astronaut and a rocks, you know, you know, it just, it, it just hit me in a really cool way. And it just began, began that path of, I just want to, I want to play guitar. That's what I want to do. Play guitar in front of people. I don't care about anything else. And that's pretty much how it's been <laughs> my whole life. Uh, yeah. Like that sounds like a badass starting point. Like you said, like Judas priest and then kiss. That's like, I don't setting the bar high for concerts. I yeah. Like. You know, I know a lot of people say that 79 tour was, you know, I mean, there was near the end of that, that era of kiss, you know, it was the, I was made for loving you kind of thing. But, as a five-year-old kid, I, I mean, I still remember it like it was yesterday, and it didn't suck. I, I know that. I know, like I said, there's periods um, of that tour where I've heard horrible stories, and people have said it was bad, but I don't remember nothing sucking about it to me. <laughs> I kind of like the air, I guess, because they got capes and stuff. So it kind of fits that superhero thing you're talking about, you know? Yeah, 
it was that it was that period too where they had kind of morphed into that whole more um you know it was the lunchbox i had the lunchbox i had all that you know i had the dolls i had all it was that they took it to the next level of branding i mean and we we got there they had these four guys dressed up like them that would walk around the arena and i mean at a five-year-old kid i thought it was them you know it's part of the whole shtick you know it's like these guys would walk around you get to meet kiss you know it was just all part of the the you know grand scale of things that Kiss did at that period. So um, it definitely was an impression that you know put an impression on me way beyond anything else I probably could have seen. Um, did you see any other cool shows growing up in that area? Yeah, I mean, by the time I mean within, I think after that I saw the Doobie Brothers. Uh, that was the next one I got to see. But after that, it was pretty much we had moved to. Rockford and everything there was at a place called Rockford Metro Center for the most part. And that was all, I mean, Van Halen, 1984. My parents took me to see that. I saw Rat on Invasion of Your Privacy and and uh, probably a couple tours of them. I mean, just anything that came through Rockford, Illinois at that point. Um, I was there, you know, which, you know, it, it was really funny because there was a point I remember as a child in middle school where I would get teased because it's like, Oh, you went to a concert with your parents. It's like, dude, I just saw Van Halen. Like you didn't even go <laughs> like, why am, why am I a nerd for hanging out with my parents are cool. You know, it's like they were, you know, 20, you know, I was in grade school, seven, eight years old. They were like 27, 28. They were young, you know, they were cool. It was just like, I, I at least got to go see that concert. You know, I got to see Scorpions with Bon Jovi opening. Damn. Uh, <laughs> So uh, any concert that came through, they loved music um, and it just passed on to me. And I think it was kind of a, a, a blessing for them because they they loved music. So they were like, well, kid, let's go to all these concerts. You know, he wants to go. Let's take him. Uh, an excuse to go see Scorpions. <laughs> <laughs> but you had mentioned Vivian Campbell and mm-hmm. he's kind of like your uh, playing style. And I think that that's one time that I commented with you because you posted, I think, a Dio. Yeah, Stand Up and Shout. Yeah, yeah, song. So so that's a big, like, I guess, uh, other than Kiss, is like the a Vivian Campbell uh, era of that? Um, Vivian Campbell, there was, I mean, there's a handful of, uh, I kind of have a few odd ones like John Sykes uh, from Whitesnake and Thin Lizzy. Love him. He's one of my faves. Vivian Campbell was one of my favorites. Um, obviously Ace. Uh, then later on, the Allison, you know, Allison Chains with Jerry Cantrell. Um, few people like that. I never really was into. I mean, Vivian Campbell was, I guess, a, a quote-unquote shredder. Um, but I never really got into the super guitar hero thing. Probably just because I never could really do it. I was always more of a simple man's guitarist, uh, preferred the guys that kind of spoke more with their guitar than, you know, the Bumblebee thing, um, which I respect completely. I mean, I, you know, I went to see, what is his name? Michael Angelo Badio. I went and saw him at a, do a clinic years ago. And I mean, it, that kind of stuff is impressive when those guys can play a million. I mean, I'm like, holy crap, I could never do that. But for me, in the context of wanting to be in a band and the song being first, I'd rather be a good guitarist, a great rhythm guitarist, and a you know decent lead guitarist. <laughs> or you know, like I said, I'm by decent, I guess in some terms, 
when people see people, they think it, it's based on all of that stuff, you know, almost like it's the musical Olympics, you know, oh, that guy can play fast. So he's better than that guy. And it's like, I would rather listen to Jerry Cantrell all day long over, you know, XYZ shredder. Um, just cause it's easy to listen to that stuff all day. Cause it, it says something. It's not just for, <laughs> for, for, you know, for how many hours, you know? So, um, so yeah, those are the players that always really, I mean, Steve Clark, the guy that Vivian replaced in Def Leppard. I think that's why earlier I was saying playing in a tribute band really, but the Def Leppard one speaks to me because I, I love those players. Um, you know, both Steve Clark and Vivian are both in my, you know, top 20 guitar players. So that to me is easy. Um, trying to play tribute to 50 bands from the top 40, that's different. So, but yeah, Vivian Campbell, um, a lot of those guys, I'm, I'm trying to think of some of the, I, I don't even remember. I did so many of those videos. I'm trying to think of some of the other ones I did. But yeah, I remember um, you doing Alice in Chains. I think it was something from Dirt, right? Yeah, I did a couple from Dirt. I think I did track yeah. one. I think I did Them Bones and Damn That River. I think I did both of those. Yeah. Um, and he, he by far, if somebody said, you know, who, who is your number? I mean, that, that guy is my number one. I just has been since he came out. Um, it's just, yeah, every, everything I do uh, stylistically probably leans more towards him. And then second, probably more towards Ace. And a couple other fellas, a um, little more bluesy, uh, bluesy, dirty, not uh, not necessarily about precision, you know, more about uh, making the making the notes count. Have you seen Allison Chains a lot over the years? Like, did you get to see him with Lane? Yes, I did. I got to see them. Um, ooh, I couldn't even. Uh, I can't even remember what year it was now, but it was in Chicago at a place called the Riviera. It was on the Dirt Tour, oh, and it was my the the band I played with in the at the time. The drummer owned a T-shirt design company, and he designed the T-shirts for that tour. So we got free tickets, and we all we had to do was deliver the shirts. So me and him and a couple other guys took about twenty boxes of shirts to the venue and got to go. Unfortunately, we didn't get to meet them. I did get to open for him years later in Houston in the mid two thousands and got to meet him for a split second when he was doing his solo thing. But, uh, but yeah, the show at the Riviera, it was them screaming trees and grunt truck. Um, and it was, I mean, again, that was, a, that was probably another one where it, it was like, I want to, do that they just had uh they had a really cool thing going on uh, in that band in particular i wasn't huge when the grunge thing popped out i really wasn't 100 percent into it i was i was still more of a you know late 80s rocker um i kind of dug pearl jam but i really wasn't a nirvana guy i, I love that stuff now but at the time when it came out allison changes kind of fit that gap they're kind of black sabbath they were a little bit, you know, they're still long hair kind of rocker, but they had a foot in the drop D uh, grunge thing. So they, they were perfect for me. Yeah, like you said, they got kind of that dirty, bluesy sound. Yeah, and Lane's voice is yeah. incredible. And I mean, just they were they were just awesome at that point. But yeah, so I got to see them 
on that tour. And that was the only time I saw them other than, like I said, I saw his solo thing. Um, I guess for me once, uh, well, yeah, I mean, it wasn't long after that. I mean, you think in, in terms of that, I mean, Lane was gone pretty quickly after that and they're touring after the dirt record, I think began to really slow down. So, and I haven't got to see the newer version. I wanted to go see them when they came to Nashville last time, but the tickets went so fast that I, uh, I couldn't uh, couldn't get one, but uh, so I would have seen them there. But yeah, um, my probably my one of my favorite bands with Kiss and a couple others. There's just not. I mean, he's one of them guys. I've never heard anything he's done that I'm like I don't like that. Um, I can't say that for a lot of artists, and that's just you know that's not like I I have the I say what's good and what's not, but, <laughs> but you know, there's certain times I'm sure with any artist, you're like, Oh, why'd they do that? You know, it's not my favorite period of that band or, or whatever. Yeah. I think the new stuff holds up uh, pretty close to the old stuff. It's the same uh, sound. Yeah. I mean, I, I know a lot of people I've, I've recently seen, they, and they actually posted something on Instagram or Facebook and the amount of people, it was like an old video of with Lane and the amount of fans that were dissing on the new, you know, the new guy. Uh, it was just like, I did, I don't really get it. You know I mean? What are they supposed to do? You know, the guy's gone. You got to find them. I think that guy's the perfect fit for the band, you know? Um, you expect them to give up all that work they did because, you know, one guy's gone. If they can continue and want to, I just, I find that stuff amusing to me sometimes online where people immediately are just like, the new guy sucks. It's just like, Ugh. you know, then don't listen. Yeah. I don't, yeah. <laughs> go, go put on the old ones and just forget the new ones are there. Uh, there's not much else you can do. Speaking of that too, I noticed uh, you had posted a story in a video about, um, uh, Stone Temple Pilots, they were kind of that grunge era, but weren't really grunge either. You're a fan of them? Uh, yeah, huge, huge fan. Um, and uh, Dean DeLeo is another one of those guitar players that's just incredible. And uh, yeah, they kind of bridged that gap. They were kind of like Candlebox to me that, you know, even though they weren't from Seattle, Candlebox was. But neither of those bands to me really were grunge. Um they both were more hard rock bands to me. Um, and then Stone Temple Pilots, they kind of morphed into a Bowie-ish thing um, at one point. And, uh, but they always kind of had this dark thing. So, yeah, I, I love that band. Like I said, I've gotten to see them several times. And uh, they were always, always good. Oh, always. <laughs> I've only seen them recently with, uh, well, uh, Chester was in the band and I got to see them. And then I saw them with the... Uh, a uh, new guy, uh, Jeff Goot, like two years ago, but I never did see him with Scott. So I'm kind of jealous you got to. Yeah, I, I never got to see him with Chester. How was how was that? I thought like he got a lot of flack for that too, because I guess yeah, you're uh, picking up after you know like an iconic uh, front man. But I thought he did really well, and uh, I kind of had a hunch they might do some like deep cuts, and they kind of did. I can't remember off the top of my head, but they did a couple from uh, Tiny Music that. I noticed on that setlist website it said they haven't performed this since like 1999 or something. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, I I I dig the EP they did with him. Yeah, uh, the stuff with Jeff I really enjoy. I saw that that lineup here in Nashville about a year or two ago. 
Um, and I, I thought it was great. The funny thing I have to say about that, though, is both Chester and Jeff, if you watch them play, they almost move. Like, I don't know if the, it's the music. It just makes you want to move a certain way. But they almost take on like you're like, man, it almost looks like Scott. Not necessarily like, you know, I mean, Chester didn't look like him, but from a distance, like, man, it, maybe that music just makes you move yeah. like Scott. I can't really figure it out, <laughs> but it's like from a distance, any one of those guys you could watch and you're like, is that Scott? Like, wow. And um, they both, I think they both have like uh, the colored hair. I think uh, Chester's was uh, red and Jeff's was white. So it's like they're both, yeah, they do kind of move like him and they got the yeah. colored hair. Yeah, so it was, you know, but yeah, seeing him, I mean, I saw them on the Tiny Music Tour and then on the four, I think it was the black, isn't that the black one with the star on the yeah. front? Yeah. Yeah, so I saw both of those tours and I think the four one he had just gotten out of prison for, for uh, his drug offenses or whatever. So he was at that point, quote unquote, clean and sober, you know, I'm sure that remains to be be. Uh, debated or whatever i don't know but he was at the top of his game i was told to ask you this though about mm-hmm. um you've got a docking story but mm-hmm. i guess do you care to elaborate on that <laughs> yeah i mean i, I <laughs> this is a secondhand story but it just always was a funny one anytime docking comes up and and yeah i i know the person that told you to ask about this story <laughs> And uh, I told him the story because we we both I I think we're probably both docking. I mean I love George Lynch, um, I love docking. But it was uh, a good friend. He worked for a record label, and it was around the time I don't know if you remember there was a period of time where all of those artists I want to say it was Rat, Docking, Great White they got re-signed to Geffen or something. It had to be in the late '90s, and they tried to get them to you know reinvigorate that thing so it was like um trying to remember the a&r guy um but he kind of spearheaded it and got all these kind of 80s bands kind of to redo you know or or make new records in the late 90s and docking did one and apparently they did a event in dallas and um it was like one of them things where they played a show and then afterwards there was a party I don't think George Lynch at that point, he he had rejoined for this thing. And I think he probably was already had a foot out the door, <laughs> you know, a, a month into the tour, typical docking. Uh, so I, as far as I remember in the story, he was not there. Um, but they, at this party, it was just Don and uh, Wild Mick Brown that were there. And the story goes that they're playing the record. Okay, they're in this... I want to say it was like a hotel uh, lounge or hotel room. So they're playing the new docking record. And uh, while McBrown is in the corner by himself, just air drumming the whole time (laughs) to the record, which I just find I I visualize that. And, you know, that probably would be me. I love to air drum, but uh, (laughs) just just at your own party by yourself air drumming and Don was trying to mack on chicks talking about his Lamborghinis and asking girls to go back to the hotel and, get their negligee and come, you know, come back to the, come back to the hotel room. Just that, those kind of ridiculous stories, you know, that at the late nineties, those days were long gone. But the funny part about it is all over the walls were these posters and it was the new, you know, album or whatever by 
by docking. But the art guy and a few people there didn't care for them and didn't care for that and replaced one of the K's. And if you look at their logo, it's kind of like a unique font. But the K had been changed to an R, but it was very hard to see. So it said <laughs> Dorkin. It was D-O-R-K-E-N. Um, and, it, it, you know, I wish one of those posters, my friend still, he's just like, man, I wish I would have kept one, you know. Cause, but the, nobody noticed in this big party. And there's, you know, all these posters on the wall just say Dorkin. <laughs> <laughs> you know, drummers in the corner, air drumming, singers trying to back on shit, you know. It was just, it was, and, you know. All those records, I remember that when those records came out, all of them failed miserably. Just wasn't the right, you know, late 90s, 99, whenever those came out, just was not the time period to be trying to reinvigorate <laughs> cock rock. So, but yeah, that's the, hopefully, uh, I, I know you, I've been told you have a friend <laughs> <laughs> who has feelings about Doc and yeah, and, he'll get uh, a kick out of that. <laughs> hopefully he enjoys that story. But yeah, that's a secondhand story. I was not there. But my friend told me that story, and I just was like, that is one of the best things I've ever heard, and I wish that poster existed somewhere. I'm sure it does. I'm sure somebody has it in a box somewhere, but, you know, Rorkin with Dorkin. So, uh. <laughs> <laughs> that That is pretty awesome, because I like Dorkin, but that's awesome somebody would troll him like that. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's you know, trolling pre, yeah. pre the internet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, trolling them in their face, yeah. But, uh. Yeah, so that that's a that that's that's a good secondhand story, but yeah, but yeah, I've, I've like I said, I've got uh, you know I'm trying to think if there are any other stories within those those videos, you know, I've, I've, you know, met a met a few crazy people, a few weird people uh, over the years. Is there anything else you want to talk? You want any other? You want any other fun stories? <laughs> uh, well, yeah. If you got any, um, go for it. Trying to think of some of the the good ones. Trying to think of some of the. I've got to go through my mental rolodex of the the bands I've been in. You know, the, the lies. Funny the you know. At one point you're in a band and you're just like, oh, this is as good as it gets, and you know, and then you figure like, oh, okay, this is it, and then next thing you know, it's twenty years later and you're twelve bands. <laughs> like I got to remember all the bands I was in. Um, um well, hey, uh, what about this? You um did say I remember this. That you were in Burden Brothers and you actually got to open up for Velvet Revolver, right? So you got to uh, open up for uh, Scott Weiland. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we he uh, at that point we did a bunch of radio festivals. Actually, one of them was in Nashville, funny enough, and uh, um, and we also did a couple just separate shows with them. But yeah, we uh, I didn't get to meet him. I did get to meet everybody else at that point. I wish I could remember. I want to say it was the end of the first tour. Um, maybe, but anyway, they, uh, yes, I did get to meet the rest of the guys in that band. I was the, the drummer in the, the burden brothers had played with Duff and Izzy, um, over the years. So he knew them. So we got, you know, one point, uh, they kind of it was one of them things you would go backstage and there'd be huge bands like standing in line waiting to meet them. And uh, my buddy Taz was like, Hey, anybody want to go with me? I'm going to see Duff. And I was like, Oh, well, I'll go. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so he tag, I tagged along and we stood out in the hall and he, you know, um, we kind of waited along with a bunch of other, you know, way bigger rock stars. And, uh, 
next thing you know, Duff's head pops out and goes, sees Taz and goes, hey, and, you know, waves us in. And everybody's looking at us like, who the hell are these guys, you know? And, uh, yeah, we walked in and it was everybody but Scott. And uh, I just kind of stood there in the the corner, not saying a thing, because, you know, first off, I'm introduced to everybody. Hey, this is Duff. This is Slash. Like, yeah, no shit, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you know it's like, uh, I know who all these people are. And then you just kind of stand there. And finally, somebody said, why don't you ask? Because Slash was sitting on a couch with his wife and he was just fiddling on a guitar. And somebody said, ask him about his guitar. So that's what I did. I sat on the arm of the couch next to him. I said, what year is that guitar? And the guy just yapped for like 20 minutes about his guitars couldn't hear half of it because he talks real quiet but i was just like uh-huh uh-huh and super nice guy and then we did get to stand on the side of the stage with duff's tech mcbob and i just remember him or somebody in the in in that uh party in that crew making the remark that it's just like Axel all over again because the house lights went down and it was like a 20, it seemed like forever, obviously, because probably wasn't as long as we thought, but it was longer than it needed to be. But basically at that point, Scott was back having issues. So they had handlers and they would keep him almost like locked up in a hotel room until it was time to play. And uh, so basically they would get a call all right, we're on our way, we're in the van, we're five minutes away, and the house lights would go down. Well, obviously, something happened in the van, didn't make it, so it took way longer. And uh, the crowd's like, you know, you know how when the lights go down, it's like, yeah, you know, and then it just kind of more and more got silent, the more <laughs> the more the time went. And uh, all of a sudden, the van pulls up, he comes out with a black hoodie on over his head, couldn't see his face, a person on each side gets to the stage and takes the hoodie off, hands it to one of those people, runs out and just kicks ass. And minute show is over, ran back to those two people. They threw the hoodie on him, jumped in the van and he was gone. So, (laughs) so never got to see him, but it was at that point too, where I think this, you know, the proverbial shit was hitting the fan or whatever you want to say. It just was not a good situation. At that point, the cracks were starting to show. So, uh, but yes, so I did get to meet them and I did get to see him side stage and he was incredible even when he was having problems. Um, You know, the Tiny Music Tour, apparently at that point there were issues, but I mean, he was incredible. He was one of them guys that just the minute he hit the stage, it was was showtime and uh, never did see him suck. So yeah, I did get to meet him. Um, through the Burn Brothers, I did get to meet uh, Jane's Addiction. <laughs> um, I got to meet a few different people. So yeah, um, Jane's Addiction was a completely different world. They kind of all had their own separate work. Where Velvet Revolver shared dressing room, at least the four of them that were there. Jane's Addiction had separate dressing rooms, and we played a few shows with them. And it was like Groundhog's Day every day because the same. Our room was our dressing room was always across from Perry's and literally every day we would be standing outside our room and he would come out of his dressing room. And I remember he would, he would look at us and go, Hey, what's up? And then look at the door where it would say the name of the band and he would go burden brothers and then look back at us. It happened at least two days in a row where it was just like, 
we just and we talked to him, had a conversation, nice guy. But then literally 24 hours later, exact same different venue, but across and same thing. It was just like, hey, who are you guys kind of thing? It was just like we just talked to you like <laughs> freaking 24 hours ago, man. <laughs> Sounds like that uh, 50 first dates, but 50 first tour dates or something like in your case. It is. Yeah, it's exactly the, the 50 first dates. Exactly. Yeah. Same thing. It was just like, good Lord, man. It was just like, I, it's just mind blowing that. But I, I, there's part of me that like wishes I could be that aloof or um, you just wonder what that guy's life has. I mean, obviously, we all know what Perry Farrell, Farrell, whatever whatever his life is not like any of ours. Um, most of those rock stars aren't, but the fact that people become that just detached that you literally have conversations with people, but don't remember them. And then I've, I've met other people that I've met, you know, one time at backstage somewhere and you run into them six years later and they remember your name. It's just, you know, somebody that's famous. And it's just like, Whoa, how do you remember me? <laughs> you know, but then there's other people, like I said, Perry, Perry is one. He's just very like, la di da, you know, he's <laughs> in his own world. I probably, like I said, probably you've had that same conversation with about 50 other people that day and probably didn't remember one of them. And like I said, there's a certain magic to that. And I'm, I'm, I wish I could be that like, whatever, you know, it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. I actually had, have had some of that before where because uh, this radio station I worked for, they would occasionally have me be like a band runner uh, for shows. So I'd go to the hotel and pick them up and take them to the venue or I'd go get their groceries or whatever. Right. And there were a few bands who I think one was like Pop Evil. I think I drove the lead singer in 2013. And then 2014, it's like they remembered me. Like everybody like remembered me. Um, the next year, and I wouldn't expect them to because they uh, do, what, 100, 200 shows a year? They're 100,000 faces or something, like a year, and then a year later they remember me, and they even invited me on their tour bus. That's awesome. Yeah. You so, know, it's but it goes to show that they appreciate what's happening. You know, I think some people, not necessarily that those, you know, like, like a Perry doesn't appreciate it, but yeah. they just it just becomes um, – it's just a different different world, I guess, maybe for for some people, you know, especially when there's addiction involved and probably brain cells have, have gone the way of the dodo. Uh, <laughs> but but yeah, there are certain artists. Yeah, like you said, that there's and, and hopefully those are the bands that will always have the fans that they have because the fans know they're, you know, they truly appreciate it. You know, I, not that again, not that Perry doesn't. Um, but there's certain artists, you know, they do cause they pay attention and they're like, Oh yeah, I remember that guy. Or, you know, that guy was really cool. And they probably remember also the people that were super dicks, you know, probably don't treat them as great. You know, you gotta you always got to remember who you are and who you're around and watch your P's and Q's. Cause you know, you'll, you'll meet those people on the way up and down. Um, shit doesn't last forever unless you're U2 and Metallica. For most for most people, the 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 ride is is up and down, and uh, mostly down. <laughs> so you just gotta, like I said, you just gotta be kind to people and and really appreciate the people that do follow you and do listen to your music and and do enjoy what you do, because 
because they're the ones that actually, you know, m- make make shit happen. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess the, yeah, they're paying your bills by buying your um, records or your uh, tickets. So, you know, I think sometimes people forget why they do it, you know. And then you have artists like ACDC, who they genuinely seem like they and you know appreciate every mo- every interview I've ever ever seen every show I've ever seen of theirs they they just love what they do I don't know I don't know if you've ever seen ACD have you ever seen ACD Oh no I actually haven't I've wanted to oh. Well I you know this this is a story I'll tell you and this the this was a, a changing moment for me it was probably uh, early 2000s mid 2000s maybe can't even remember what tour it was, but I was living in Dallas at the time, and I oh, went. Was that stiff upper lip? I think it might have been. You might be right. That might have been the tour, but uh, saw the originals, and I kind of at that point I'd kind of maybe lost a little bit of my like, eh, I'm not so much in ACDC, you know, really wasn't my thing at that point. And but I had my buddy that worked for a label there. He invited me to go, and we had seats right sides like where the seats go up on the side right by on Malcolm's side of the stage. So, and if you look down, we had a perfect angle of where you could see the side of the amps behind the amps and in front of the amps. So we were really close, but behind Malcolm's amps was a table with an ashtray and a cigarette and a drink. And I've seen plenty of shows where, you know, the singer you know, runs behind the amps and there's somebody there towel them off and, you know, the, the whole, you know, they got a robe waiting, <laughs> that kind of stuff, you know. But but at that point, I'd kind of like music was, eh, you know, kind of was over all of it. And just it, it, just one of those things where you kind of hit a point in music where you're just it's frustrating, you're worn out. And But I went to that show and. If you ever see ACDC, the, the guitar solos are definitely extended, and there's a lot of Angus, which is awesome. But while he does his thing, Brian Johnson runs behind the amps. And we could see him perfectly where we were sitting. And like I said, this was one of those moments where it changed the way I thought about music because I had seen all that stuff. You know, after you're done, you do this. And he would run behind there. There was nobody else there, just that drink, that ashtray and a cigarette and and he would run behind there and he would be facing the back of the amps like facing the you know the front of the stage but he's behind the amps so you can't see him nobody knows they if they can see him or not you know as far as he knows nobody so in my mind oh he's gonna sit back there and no dude full on just like he would be on stage is drinking hands smoking the other rocking like head banging just like he would be on stage while in front of the amps the real show is going on but that that was like that guy loves this shit. Brian Johnson loves this shit. Like he's not he doesn't even think people are watching right now. He's just back there in his moment. There's no handlers. He drink, smoke, rocking by himself. And it was just like I want to do that was one of those things for me again like kiss like you know 20 years later. It's like that's what I forgot about. That's what I want to do. This is supposed to be fun. <laughs> I'm actually supposed to enjoy this. How weird. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, if you ever get to see them, that is the real deal. You know, unfortunately, Malcolm's gone. But, like, I, I, from what I've heard, they're back together. 
Um, but Brian Johnson and Angus and those guys, even if you don't like ACDC, which I know you do, but I know people that it's not their favorite, but you will be blown away and, and leave understanding that music's supposed to be fun. And uh, that was one of those things I saw that just brought it all back around. It was like, that guy does this because he loves it. And uh, I just think that's a very important thing for musicians to remember. You know, is it for a paycheck? I mean, I guess for some, you know, I mean, I, I never made a lot of money. <laughs> so it's never really been about the paycheck. But I, I get if it is. But at the end of the day, I think no matter what you do, whether you're, you know, um, making paintings, if you, you know, do hair, if you do whatever, you should actually somewhat enjoy what you do. If you don't, then go find something you do. That is a good story, man, because it's kind of like, yeah, he's just as much of a fan as you are or the fans at the show. Oh, yeah. Like I said, it was it was impressive. Like I was like this, you know, in my head, you picture the guy running around the back of the amps and nobody he thinks nobody's watching. You think he's just going to stand there and towel himself off and drink his drink. And but no, he just straight up rocked behind the amps, <laughs> smoking and drinking. And then like when it was his turn, those that shit hit the table and he ran back out and started, you know, doing his thing again. It was like, whoa. And that, you know. He wasn't a spring chicken at that point either. So yeah, if any of those stories pop up in your head, <laughs> let me know. You know, I could like throw a few others out. But uh, yeah, and as far as uh, the Illinois connection, uh, I'm, I'm, I know this is your interview or whatever. But how are you familiar with Denny and all those guys just from the music scene there? Yeah, basically, like I've got friends that have like like known him like I guess forever because he grew up um, here. But I actually had only heard his name for a while, so I didn't know who he was, but I knew of co-op just from going there. And I'm like, so finally yeah. there was one time where he came to town and he was opening up for a friend and he was doing like an acoustic thing. And uh, he played like a Paul Stanley uh, solo song. Like, I don't know like how you feel about the 78 uh, solo album. but I don't mind it. I don't know if you pay attention to Denny on Facebook, but... Anytime somebody mentions a solo album, it always turns into a big debate like, oh, um, Ace is better or Paul's better. and Yeah. <laughs> uh, it just turns into its own thing. But I I saw Denny at this, like he was playing at this place in Peoria called The Red Barn, and he, he played one of those Paul songs, and I was like, all right, cool. And I was like, I think I said something to him like, oh, like good song. And then I just added him on Facebook while I'm sitting there, and he's like, all right, who's a – who's the guy that's sending me friend, a uh, friend request, but I didn't know that he was just giving me uh shit. I thought he was kind of like pissed off or something. Cause I didn't know right. his like sense of humor, but then it's basically went from there where I guess gives me shit nonstop the last like six yeah. years. But now I kind of uh, purposely will say stuff. So he will give me shit. Yeah. You, you would love to be a fly on the wall when we get together and have a couple of drinks of me and him, boy, we, we meet there. There's some, funny shit that gets said in those little <laughs> we can have debates about that kind of stuff too so we, we have some funny funny conversations here in nashville when we were uh we're alone with some drinks in our hand <laughs> yeah because he's hard to keep up with like like so you can actually keep up with his wit then <laughs> oh yeah we go back and forth so <laughs> so like, we're both illinois boys so you know i seem to it, that's one of the things that I never really, uh, this, once I moved to the South, I just never fit in in that terms. Just, you know, 
that whole busting each other's balls kind of thing just does, doesn't really float with most people I know down here. <laughs> so uh, we can, me and him can go at it for an hour or two and then laugh our asses off about it later. Um, yeah, it's kind of cool that, yeah, you're from, I basically like around this area. So is Denny and then uh, Tony Higby too. So it's kind of cool that you guys are all like down there. And you're from yeah, I actually played area. with Tony when I'm I moved to Nashville. I played in Caprice for about I don't know six months or so, right before it kind of started to fold up. Oh, um, wow. That's how I that's how I ended up down here. I knew Tony before I knew anybody. Um, Tony's band, well, Caprice used to open up for my old band, the Burden Brothers, when we would play here, and uh, we just kind of became friends. And uh, after my band split up, I was looking to make a change, and they needed a guitar player, and I moved down here and. You know, for whatever reason, things just don't work out. But I ended up staying down here and just kind of worked out. And it worked out really well for him. I mean, he's got a great gig now. So so good on him. Yeah, it's kind of like a small world thing, too, I guess. Yeah, completely. Uh, so I was going to ask, too, just go back to that, like the Def Leppard uh, band that you're uh, doing. Like, do you have like a favorite Def Leppard album then? Oh, High and Dry. High and Dry, I'm, okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm an old school uh, you know, Pyromania probably is second, and then on through the night would be third, and then kind of, I guess, Hysteria maybe fourth, and after that, they kind of just kind of all meld in there together. Once Steve Clark was gone, um, just kind of lost lost its luster. Even though I love Vivian, I just feel like, I don't know, I just don't feel like his stamp is on it as strong as, as I mean, Steve Clark was like the riff master, you know, so... Uh, he had such a big part of that band. I feel like once he was left, then the dynamic changed, and it's more, you know, um, I don't feel like Vivian's that in- integral part of the song. And I could be wrong, but just don't get enough of his flavor. Like when I hear "Last in Line," that's Vivian. You know, it's it's you, it's undeniable. Like that guy has his thing. It just really doesn't get uh, amplified as much in Def Leppard. It's tamed down. So. Um, have you actually seen that band, um, Last in Line, that he's got? No. Again, that's another one that came through Nashville, I feel, at one point, And for whatever reason, either I was playing a show with somebody or something was happening and I just couldn't couldn't go. So, But I would, I would love to. Like I said, all of those guys um, are amazing. So I'm, I'm sure it would be great. Um, actually, I think Tony's band opened up for them when they played here, and now that I'm thinking about it. Um, Eastside Gamblers or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. They, I think they opened up that show, but uh, yeah, great, uh, great band. And like I said, that that's Vivian. And uh, obviously in Def Leppard, he's not going to get all of that, but I, I just feel like, man, if they let him like 20% out of the box, let have him have a little at it. Uh, it could be really cool. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever seen the Dio hologram? <laughs> No, no, I, 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 you know, I, I don't have a, I really don't have an opinion on it. I feel like if somebody wants to go see that kind of thing, um, more power to him. You know, I, I saw him when he was alive and, and I choose to remember it like that, but I get why people want to see stuff like that. You know, if you never got to, or if you want to want to relive it or whatever, I just, um, I just can't say I would, I personally probably wouldn't spend my money on that. Um, but I get why people do. 
I kind of feel the same way. It's like you could just watch a DVD, I think, and get the same yeah. experience. But then after, I think it was last year, uh, there's a theater up north in Illinois, and they had Last in Line. And then two months later, like the Dio, uh, what's that? The Dio Disciples with the hologram thing came through, and I was like, maybe I'll go see it just to see those guys take on those songs. But the tickets were like fifty bucks, and I was like, it's a little steep. Yeah, where was it at? It's uh, St. Charles, Illinois. Okay. Yeah, they get like they get tons of bands coming through there. Even like Stars and Angel last year, and I man, the Midwest is all about that rock shit. You know, that's yeah. what I, you know. I, I they. I, you know, that's the one thing I miss down south, too. It's just uh, there's this thing in Wisconsin, Illinois, Ohio, Michigan. They still like that rock and roll and uh, not as not as prevalent down here. But uh, that is what it is. But, yeah, so, I, I you know, I'm sure you probably see way cooler shoes, <laughs> cooler shows than than I do. I did well, see yes. L.A. Guns. Oh, yeah. I did see L.A. Guns. So that that was great. You know, they were fun, so I saw them recently. There's there's a few that'll pop through here. I guess you're out playing shows, so you don't always have like yeah, you might have a gig somewhere the same night as something else is passing through, right? Yeah, I mean it's it's uh, the the playing out thing for the last year and a half has been kind of a dead fish, but but yeah, and previous to that, you know, I was in a band called Adeline prior to Lights of Marfa, and we we you know we played all the time, so. Um, uh, but yeah, as far as the Lights of Marfa thing, the last couple of years has been been really slow, just because it's really hard. Like I said, in this this town in particular, it's it's, it's difficult, you know, especially when you're you play music like we do. Um, it's not the you know soup du jour here, <laughs> uh, so we're we're trying to figure all that out. Once all of this uh, quarantine stuff clears up, hopefully we'll we'll be able to move things forward and uh start playing playing shows even if it's coming up you know coming up with denny and some of those guys and playing up by you guys where where we might actually get some love yeah that'd be awesome yeah we like i said we would love to so yeah so a lot previous to that yeah i didn't see a lot of shows just because i was you know usually playing or a lot of times you know you, you feel bad but when you are playing a lot and then you do have a weekend off the last thing you freaking want to do is like go to a show <laughs> Uh, so there was a period of that too, where it was just like, I finally have a Saturday off. Do I want to sit at home for one night or do I want to go to a show? So kind of pick and choose those battles as well, you know? Oh yeah, for sure. (laughs) Um, so you did release that song, but are you guys like working on anything else like right now? The Lights of Marfa thing? Yes. It's it's still on hold. Well, it's on hold at the moment just because we're kind of, we don't have a bass player at the moment. You know, it's kind of, um, our friend, uh, we have a buddy who actually was the bassist from, from Adeline, um, Jonathan Stoy. He plays in a band called Framing Hanley. Now, um, he played bass on that song just cause the first several we put out, I played bass and I'm just not a bass player. Um, I mean, I can pass in the studio, um, but it's just a lot quicker to have somebody that actually does that for, for real um, do it. But pr- prior to that, yeah, I mean, we we have plans to put out more music, but it just kind of, I don't know if you you probably followed the, the, the past stuff uh, or look back at the past stuff, but when we started with Heaven Knows, our whole thing last year was we put out a song 
and most of the time a video on the first of every month of last year. So February 1st, March 1st, April, there was, uh, there was a new song, a new video, the whole thing. So we were just writing, 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 recording, 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 and we did it all ourselves. The videos were all by ourselves. The recording, production, I think Heaven Knows actually was, we had uh, uh, the singer from Hinder is a buddy of ours. He mixed that song, and then the next song was mastered by a buddy of ours uh, in L.A. But other than those two people helping, everything that came out last year was completely done by us independently DIY, you know, GoPro cameras, you know, using our own little studios at home. Um, so we spent so much time last year that this year we were planning on slowing down, but the quarantine made us slow down even more. And I think we've kind of realized like we need to focus on playing out when things get moving again. Cause it just, again, the videos I was telling you about earlier, you know, two hours to do one, I need to figure a song every month. I mean, those would take us 60 hours just to write and record in a month and then shoot a video. We are spending our whole time kind of just doing that process every month last year. So it was fun, and we got some re- a really cool catalog of songs. But keeping up that pace is, <laughs> is almost impossible at this point. So I think we're, we're re- revisiting how we do things so we'll probably put out more music but it may be more a thing where we go into a studio and put out an ep or try and put out a full length or maybe we do an ep's cover you know ep of covers and something we haven't really decided yet but the song a month thing is uh is a thing of the past i think <laughs> um, well, i'll be looking forward to like whatever you guys put out in the future well so you- thanks man yeah we're we're, we're trying like I said, it's uh, if you listen to the stuff, there's definitely a, uh, it's kind of that Stone Temple Pilots thing more than anything. Like there's some that are really heavy, there's some that are really straight ahead rock. There's ballads. Um, we don't kind of have one thing we do, which which may be to detriment now nowadays. It seems like people want you to kind of do your one thing, but uh, we just kind of write what comes out and put it out, and hopefully hopefully people enjoy it uh so far they've seemed to really enjoy it but it's you know i'm sure you've had these conversations with denny um in in uh, well maybe not but i I have and uh with several people that are you know i guess more in my age bracket um just the internet really makes it difficult you know it's just how do you cut through the the crap you know i mean when you put out a song and and you find out like, why are only 25 people liking this, you know? And then you find out, well, only 25 people actually see it because of the algorithm or uh, like whatever. Um, it's, you just wonder, do people search music anymore? Or do they just wait for it to pop up in their face? Um, so that's the other angle you got to figure out nowadays too, is how do you get your music out to people and have them notice, um, without having a label or without, you know, paying Facebook to do a, you know, a $300 ad. So, you know, a thousand people see your video and most of them could care less. <laughs> yeah. Or the short attention spans too. It seems like everything is just like onto the next thing and then it's onto the next thing on Facebook and social media too. Yeah. It's, um, 
like I said, cutting through all of that stuff is, is just really difficult. And, uh, you just trying to figure, trying to figure it all out. And it changes so often that you just don't know. I, I do know that from doing those videos you were talking about is that constant, uh, constantly berating people with, uh, content seems to really be the way, <laughs> but again, it's so time consuming and I, you know, you see these YouTubers and stuff doing it and it's like, yeah, you know, they get a million views, but you know, they also make money doing that, you know, for guys like us starting out, putting that m amount of time into something that you really don't see a return from is sometimes really frustrating. Well, where can people find your stuff? You got um, a website for uh, Lights of Marfa? Yeah, it's just lightsofmarfa.net. And then all that's the... probably the best. I mean, you know, I hate you know. Everybody goes, well, why don't you send people to their their face? I mean, everything is as Facebook, Lights of Marfa, Instagram, Lights of Marfa, um, okay. and everything is there. All the links to things, all of our songs are there. Um, all the videos are there. So that's kind of where I usually lead people. I don't know. Again, I don't know how many people go to websites anymore if they do. <laughs> well, hopefully you get some more traffic now. Yeah, I hope so, man. I, I, I really do. You know, it's it's a different world, but I, we're continuing to make music that we like. And, and, you know, at least the people around us say it doesn't suck. So <laughs> so hopefully we're able to continue and and keep making music and having um, number one is at the, you know, at this point too, you know, with music going the way it is, I've said this to several people that it has to be fun again. There's been many years here where, it, you know, for a lot of musicians where it just kind of became not fun because you're kind of chasing something. And it's just like, I just, and if it ain't fun, it ain't worth doing. So the minute it ain't fun, then I'll, I'll move on to something else. Hopefully it stays fun for you, man, and I'll be looking forward to the next batch of music from you. Well, thanks for talking, man. I don't, I don't want to take up uh, too much of your time. Plus, I gotta get. No, I know you gotta get to yeah. work. So sorry if I'm yapping. Oh no, it's cool, man. It was fun. It was fun. All right, man. Well, cool. I'll uh, like I said. Hopefully, we'll keep in touch. All right, thanks, cool, man. Corey. All right, buddy. You have a good day.